Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, our weekly highlights podcast, offering you a refined selection from our articles and podcasts. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. On your menu this week... A political fight breaks out over Rome's Colosseum. Australians debate how to deal with sharks and what a future utopian society might think of humanity today. But first, why Israel needs a Palestinian state was our cover line this week. Israel's temporary occupation has endured for half a century. It's time for Israel to let the Palestinian people go for the sake of their own democracy, or so our cover leader argued. The victory of Israel over the Arab armies that encircled it in 1967 was so swift and absolute that, many Jews thought, the divine hand must have tipped the scales. Awestruck, the Jews took the holy sites of Jerusalem and the places of their biblical stories. But the land came with many Palestinians whom Israel could neither expel nor absorb. For the past 50 years, Israel has tried to have it both ways. Taking the land by planting Jewish settlements on it and keeping the Palestinians unenfranchised under military occupation denied either their own state or political equality within Israel. Time for the status quo to be altered, we argued. A Palestinian state is long overdue. Rather than resist it, Israel should be the foremost champion of the future Palestine that will be its neighbour. The reason Israel must let the Palestinian people go is to preserve its own democracy. The outlines of peace are widely known. Palestinians would accept the Jewish state born from the War of 1947-48, to made up of about three-quarters of the British Mandate of Palestine. In return, Israel would allow the creation of a Palestinian state in the remaining lands it occupied in 1967, about one quarter. But though this model is familiar, it doesn't mean a deal would be lightly. The limbo of semi-war and semi-peace is, sadly, a tolerable option for both. So to read our prescriptions for a better deal for Israel and the Palestinians, pick up this week's issue, which includes a special report on Israel and the enduring legacy of the Six-Day War. On now to Italy, where two political parties have been battling it out over the right way to run one of the country's best-known Roman monuments, the Colosseum. The view from the roof of Rome's city hall makes others seem inconsequential. Just a turn of the head is sufficient to take in Trajan's Column, the Forums, the Colosseum, the Palatine Hill and the Circus Maximus, all set against a backdrop of the blue-grey Apennine Mountains. Perhaps the world's greatest open-air museum. But in the past few weeks, it has become a battleground too, involving two parties with different visions of how to cope with the burgeoning number of tourists clamouring to see Italy's cultural riches. Gladiators, enter the ring. On the one side, wielding a mighty sword, is the centre-left Democratic Party, or PD, and its former leader, Dario Franceschini the Arts and Heritage Minister in the coalition government of Paolo Gentiloni. And on the other, waving a net and trident, is the Mayor of Rome, Virginia Raggi, 
of the populist Five Star Movement, or M5S. The two are pitted against each other in a row over reorganisation. In January, Mr Franceschini set up an archaeological park of the Colosseum. Under the new arrangement, a second body, separate from the park, will manage the capital's remaining state-owned monuments, museums and excavation sites. Last month, however, this extensive reorganisation was cast into doubt when Mazraji appealed to the courts to block it. But as was the case in ancient Rome, power, intrigue and money all play their part. Read more in this week's issue. Flipping over now to our Asia section, the knives are out once more for one of Australia's less favoured native creatures. The death of a surfer has prompted a row about how to keep swimmers safe from sharks. Letitia Brower, a teenager who was recently killed by a shark in Western Australia, was the state's third such fatality in under a year and the 14th nationwide since 2012. Certain species of shark are protected in Australia and many locals fear shark numbers are rising. The rate of unprovoked attacks doubled between that decade and the 10 years to 2015. Any fisherman will tell you that they see more sharks than before, says Neddy Van Dyke, a surfer and spear fisherman formerly based in Esperance, where Ms Brower was killed. It's a risk I consider every time I go into the ocean, he says. But while the nation debates the best way to deal with the problem, it's worth throwing in some statistical analysis too. The harsh reality is that locals will always face a very small risk of being attacked, said Western Australia's Premier Mark McGowan after Miss Brower's death. In fact, the risk is infinitesimal. Sharks may cause politicians to thrash about, but Australians run about the same risk of being killed by a bee or wasp. Now for a taste of our other podcasts. Our politics show The Week Ahead has a special segment each week packed with lively discussion about Britain's upcoming election. It's called First Past the Post Truth. And this week, I asked our Badgett columnist, Adrian Wooldridge, what he's heard while gallivanting around the country to meet potential voters. I discovered two sets of things. One is that people are extremely unexcited about this election. They've had too much politics. They're very resistant to another election after the elections and the referendum. They're very bored by politics and they're inclined not to vote. On the other hand, there's definitely a weakening of the traditional ties to the Labour Party for several reasons, partly because of Corbyn, partly because of Brexit. On Wednesday's science and technology show, Babbage, we explored the technological shifts we're likely to see as we head towards 2050, how they might impact the society we live in. Here's cybersecurity expert Bruce Schneier explaining how a potential Cold War of cyber attacks might look. In the nuclear arms race, only the big nations could participate. I mean, this is an arms race where anybody can participate, where weapons are easy to hide, where capabilities are easy to mask, where defenses are, are complex and hard to know if they're going to work. There's a lot more uncertainty and that it really makes it more unstable. You can listen to the rest of that feature-length episode of Babbage on Acast or on iTunes.
Diving back into this week's print issue, a flip through to the books and arts section, and we find a review of a new fiction dealing with the concept of an ideal society. The protagonist of John Burnside's The Coast of Utopia goes to sleep in 2017 and wakes up in the future. A catastrophic series of plagues, known as the Dark Time or the Collapse, has reduced the global population from over 8 billion to fewer than 2 billion. Much of the world is overrun with free pollutants and marauders. But on Havergay, an island off the coast of Scotland, a small utopian society has formed. The fictional premise is a scaffold on which the author hangs his theories about how to create an ecological and economic utopian society. One which pokes fun at the cultural idiosyncrasies of today. From sitting in dark rooms watching a little box in the corner for hours on end, to paying people to make music that all sounds the same. But not, of course, listening to podcasts. Oh, no. Mr Burnside raises some interesting moral questions as he explores the idea of a society governed by principles of honour and community, where killing is sometimes the only way. Short of a catastrophic epidemic, however, his vision will remain elusive. Overpopulation was not a sexy subject, John says, reflecting on why nothing was done to curb it. Mr Burnside's sci-fi approach may be what is needed to get people talking. Our final taste of this week's issue is from the section that gets all our readers talking, sometimes to each other. From the collection of letters to the editor, one Tom Murphy from France was responding to a previous correspondence from another reader. He wrote, Ted Stroll suggested that Britain should become a new province of Canada after Brexit. There are additional benefits to doing this. Britain would have access both to the boat-building technology of the Inuits and to the oil sands in Alberta. In this way, it could have its kayak and heat it. And you can have your cake and eat it by reading and listening to the rest of our content online. But that's the end of this week's Tasting Menu. Do keep sending us your feedback by email to radio at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.